We were traveling a few months ago. We're in Chicago for some meetings. One, we're inside the building, the weather was fine, but when we came out, it's rain. We only have to go 12 blocks, but we decide that's 12 wet blocks, so we call for a, a taxi driver. We apologize the minute we get in because we know he's not gonna make very much money. We say, we're so sorry. He said, come on, get in. Buckle up, he turns the meter on. First question he says, are you dentists? No, we're not dentists. Ah, too bad. If you were dentists, this would be a free ride. Well, so I ask, well, what is it with dentists? What's the big deal? Well, I just like them, he says. <laughs> I just like them, so if you were dentists, it would be a free ride. Note to all of you who travel to Chicago, the American Dental Association, headquartered in Chicago. No wonder he likes dentists, right? They give him good tips. But I'm looking at, between the two of us, to scientists and clergy, and we, we should be worth something together. So I say to him, well, well, what about us? I'm a clergy person. He said, clergy. I said, a pastor. Pastor. Are you spiritual? Are you a spiritual person? Are you spiritual? Okay, I'm a spiritual person. Yeah, I'm a spiritual person. Oh, you're a spiritual person. Okay, tell me what to do. My niece just called, she's getting married in two hours. She wants me to come to the wedding, but here's the problem. I don't talk to her father, her father is my brother. We don't talk. We haven't talked for 16 years. We had an argument 16 years ago, and we were at his, he came to my property. I, I don't even remember what we argued about, to be honest, but it was bad, I called the police. I called the police and I have a restraining order. That was a long time ago. I, I don't talk to my brother for 16 years. So now, today, my niece calls. She's getting married and he looks at the clock. Two hours, she'll be married at 6.30 tonight. Now she knows I don't go where her father is. Her father doesn't go where I am. But she says, will you come to the wedding? So, spiritual person, what should I do? There is an answer to that question that brings equilibrium. There is an answer to that question which pushes us towards disequilibrium. Equilibrium. It's finding our way through, through these opposing and varying and unpredictable Decisions and influences and pressures, equilibrium, it's a, a battle of forces, I've been saying this week. And the people who planned this week of renewal, although we've been speaking about spiritual equilibrium, the people who planned this week, they understand that, that spiritual equilibrium is also physical equilibrium and mental equilibrium and social equilibrium. We don't have one without the other. We, we don't have a body, we are a body. And so equilibrium of one part affects all parts. Opposing forces in our lives, unpredictable, various pressures. I've suggested this week, and particularly on this campus, where the emphasis is in the continuing the healing arts of Jesus, that Jesus and the healing way of Jesus is the foundation of our equilibrium. I didn't choose healing just because it was my favorite topic. I choose healing because when we open the Bible, we see Jesus healing more than any other activity. So this week we reflected on forces and influences and pressures which would move us away from 
healing lives. We talked about the angry life on Tuesday. We reflected on the competitive life Wednesday. Yesterday, the excessive life and, and how these forces pull us away from a healing life of equilibrium. Here's another word from Jesus this morning. Simple, but not easy. Also from Luke chapter 6. Jesus says to them, Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. In a world full of judgments and convictions and opinions, their world in the first century, our world today, here comes a command from Jesus. Notice it's not a nice idea. It's not just simply a request. It's not left over from the Beatitudes, those blessing teachings earlier that we read Monday, Tuesday, what Tuesday, Wednesday. It's a command, and it's a fairly straightforward and strict command in, stated in an intensive way, forceful. Do not do these things. These two things, do not do them, and they will not happen to you. Do not judge you yourself. Do not condemn you yourself. Do not do these two things. Do not judge. Announce that someone's ideas or opinions or existence is wrong. Do not condemn, which means don't announce someone guilty. But do this one thing, you yourself. Forgive. Release people from the bondage you've kept them in. And the text says that there's something reciprocal that will happen to us. Do not do these two things and do this one thing and some kind of measure comes back to us, the text says. Now, dozens of times every day, we have to use our judgment. You used your judgment this morning when you got up to eat breakfast or to not eat breakfast, whatever you ate, to dress, whatever clothes you put together, you used your judgment this morning. Some of us had a little better judgment than others. That's what someone down here was just thinking. You laughed. Use your judgment all the time, all day long, we use our judgment. We have to use our judgment. You use your judgment um, when to sleep, when to study, when to work, and how much of all of these things to do. You'll use your judgment how to get out of town in Loma Linda on a Friday afternoon on a holiday weekend. You will. You'll look and you'll decide which back road to go. Someone used their judgment in the New York Symphony Tuesday night. Did you read this in the paper? The maestro in the middle of the final movement of the Ninth Symphony? He used his judgment and he stopped the symphony, they were almost finished. But he could not stand the iPhone and the marimba ring from the front row. He'd already signaled with his eyes, the maestro, would you turn your phone off? The phone kept ringing and ringing. So the maestro used his judgment. Stop it. Somebody used their judgment when they decided that this Edison Tower in Springfield, Ohio needed to come down. It's a tower built in 1927. The experts are called in. They put the dynamite underneath the tower. They have to use their best judgment when we fall this tower. We need it to happen safely. And, and their best judgment was not so terrific. It fell right on top of these power lines and this power plant. That was the best judgment of the experts that they called in. 
You have to use your judgment all the time. Those of you in the healing arts, this is what your day is made up of. Judgment after judgment after judgment. When you show up for work and for class. However, there is a difference between using or exercising our judgment and judging. Jesus is talking about the latter. It is our judging, the condemnation part, the declaring others wrong or guilty or outside of God's status or eyesight. Somehow, when I make a judgment about other people, declaring them wrong and perhaps even making some statement about how God views them, God says, I can't do that. Jesus says, uh, it's not good for me to do that judging, and it's not good for you. The, the text goes on in verse 38 to say this, give and it will be given to you, a good measure pressed down, shaken together, and running over, it will be poured out for, into your lap, for with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. It feels a little mysterious or enigmatic, that, that text right there, but there's a reciprocal thing happening. Do not judge, do not condemn, and offer forgiveness, and it will be like a measure given to you, something extra, something abundant poured out into your lap that you can't contain. Now, that can't be, in my thinking, some extra measure or blessing from God, because frankly, there's nothing I can do that will make God bless me more. Nothing that would make me do God bless me less because God can't help but bless people already all the time. Some other additional kind of blessing that this is referring to, it can't mean earning God's grace or favor somehow, so what does it mean? Eugene Peterson's paraphrase I think is helpful when it, with that same verse he says, it's very simply, be easy on people. Be easy on people. Generosity begets generosity. Be easy on people. Give them, offer them generosity. When I do that, it's not only good for you, but it's good for me, the Bible says. When you do that, it's not only good for you, but it is good for me. And when we all do it together, the blessing is spilled out on the earth. It's a simple not an easy teaching from Jesus this morning. And it makes me want to ask the question, what is the risk of being easy on people? What do I lose by being generous with people? I've started saying in my life and in my work and with the people I know and love, how about we assume the most generous interpretation first? Yeah, but, 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 but. What is the risk for me? to go easy on people. So we asked you this question a little bit ago about being critical. What is it that you feel critical about? Let's see if any answers came in this morning so I don't have to give you all of my critical spirit alone. Let's see if anything came in from you. I'm gonna start at the top left. I looked everywhere and Best Buy is not closing. <laughs> well, let's just talk about that one. Go to the Wall Street Journal. And they're not closing this year, they're closing in approximately two years. Because their, their profit margin is failing right now, Mr. Upper Left Hand Corner, who are you? <laughs> critical spirit. I'm moving right. I'm critical of people who don't park straight. 
Amen. I'm critical of people who blame the world and take no responsibility for things they can improve in their own lives. And any team not the Packers. We have a hater in our midst. It's okay, we're all a little bit of haters. Bottom left, racism. Everyone's a little bit racist sometimes. 99% is unintentional. That's correct. Non-malicious. Peace could happen if people would chill. <laughs> Says Ryan. friends, right people? That's the point. Because the Bible also goes on to say, what good does it do if we confess in private, right? You're among friends, Ryan. On the right, it hurts the most from me than anyone else. I believe that that person means when I'm critical on my, of myself, it's the most hurtful. Do we have another, uh, do we have another page, Steve? No? We only have six critical people in the whole room. <laughs> or six people who know how to use Twitter, minus the one in the middle here who has no answer. Me. Me. I'm critical of me. Yeah, so, so six of us confessed, and all of us sitting in the room understand. And it helps. <laughs> You want to pray, Brian? You want to get down on your knees and invoke God right now? It helps. Thanks, Steve. We can't handle any more. Oh, I've got a long list of things I'm critical of just like you. At the top of my list, people who fly in the frequent flyer mile lane at the airport. But we don't talk about this in my household because one of us flies a lot and get special treatment at the airport. And one of us stands in the, the plebe peasant servant line <laughs> and waits all day. One of us walks in and they just part the waters and say, oh, Dr. Oberg is here. <laughs> Step to the front of the line. One of us is behind every stroller and car seat and bags and all the way. I waited LAX two hours, but as I travel with my husband, we get in at the blink of an eye. I go to the Admiral's Club and give them my boarding pass and they say, oh, excuse me, this is for members only. <laughs> but but I, I think I am a member. No, you're not. <laughs> but if I travel with my husband, we just, at the waters, just part every airport we go. See, I have a list. You have a list. Sometimes they're just silly and we think they're superficial and then we realize the more we live with them, how far under our skin they are and how much time it's consuming to have a judging spirit and a spirit of condemnation and a, a spirit that refuses to forgive and release and set people free we've been holding in bondage. These things keep us off of equilibrium. This, this is what throws us into disequilibrium. How much time does it take to be critical, to condemn? to hate, to be afraid of the other, 
some honest things up on the board this morning. How much time does it take? Deep-seated racism that I might not even know or acknowledge exists in my soul. How much time does it take to hate on other people groups? In our 10 years post 9-11 world, there's an amazing professor who's the, the cleric leader of the Sikh group in Riverside. Sit with that gentleman for an hour and ask him to tell you about his life walking around Riverside with his head wrapped post 9-11 world. How much time and attention and energy does it take from me? How does it throw me off of equilibrium? Jesus invites us, and if you find it difficult like I find it difficult, this teaching, work it in reverse because the command began to do not judge, do not condemn, and forgive. So work it in reverse. Start with the forgiveness. Begin with the forgiveness side of the equation. As God forgives me, I offer forgiveness to those I'm, I'm, I'm holding hostage well, I, I don't pretend this is easy. I don't pretend it's one prayer or that you walk out of the sanctuary today totally free in spirit. I just say, begin with the forgiveness side of the equation. The prayer is simple. God, I'd really like to release so-and-so today from the hold I have had on them. Can you do that work in my life? Begin with the forgiveness equation. Move to the condemnation Withhold declaring other people guilty. Move to the judging. Withhold declaring other people right, their ideas and their wrong, their ideas or their opinions or their convictions. Withhold those, those, uh, those, the, the, that judgment out loud. Work the equation backwards and see if it comes to us a little easier. Extending the generosity of God, Jesus says, that's what provides equilibrium in our lives. Now, maybe it's a little easier because this is hard work. If we look at it through the children's story, the children's novel, How to Train Your Dragon, right? You didn't read the book. You saw the movie. It was a children's book first, however. These are our people. These are my people, the Viking culture. The story is based on a Viking village. I don't know, uh, Chris Pico, if we had a little Viking Norseman music right now, what it would sound like, but this is a Viking story. Centuries and centuries ago, right? That according to the story, they live uh, about 12 days north of... You remember? No, you don't remember. Neither do I. I'll read it to you. <laughs> 12 days north of hopeless and a few degrees south of freezing to death. That's where the Viking village is located. Seven generations of Vikings have been raised here. Here's what they do. They slay dragons. That is their entire goal. Multiple varieties of dragons. They know them all, and they teach their children to be dragon slayers. It's a tough curriculum that the children go through. And uh, at the end of the coursework, as the children grow, the final exam is to slay your own dragon, and that's when you know, boys and girls alike, when you slay your own dragon, you are a true Viking warrior. And so they go to school. Now there is one scrawny little kid named Hiccup, and Hiccup has come to the realization that he doesn't have it in him to actually kill a dragon. He can't do it. And he laments one day, 300 years of Vikings in this village and I'm the first who can't slay a dragon. But he studies hard. 
He reads the book, and in, inside the book in particular, there are elaborate drawings and sketches of every dragon and what they're capable of. There'll be a classification for every beast. This one eats you. This one can take your head off with one puff. After every description and after every drawing, the book will say on the inside, it'll say, extremely dangerous, this species, extremely dangerous, kill on sight. And as you flip the pages, page after page, extremely dangerous, kill on sight, extremely dangerous, kill on sight, extremely dangerous, kill on sight until the children get the point. You have to kill them all. Now Hiccup realizes he cannot slay the dragon, but more than that, he makes friends with one particular dragon in this story. And the more time he spends with this dragon, he realizes that he, he and his family has misjudged the dragon. And so he goes to his father and he says, Father, Father, it's really not as you think. He begins to argue with him. He says, these dragons are not as we thought. They don't want to hurt us. And the father says, but they've killed hundreds of us. And Hiccup says, but we've killed thousands of them. They're just protecting themselves, Father. This is not how it has to be. They're just fighting back. Hiccup argues with his father. They're just as frightened as we are. And then in the one line that makes the entire story pause, this child, Hiccup, says to his father, everything you've taught us about them is wrong. Where does it hurt us in our lives to extend generosity, to go easy on people? Perhaps along the way, some things we've been taught about the other are wrong. Perhaps along the way, we've developed the wrong idea or the wrong opinion. So what do I tell the taxi cab driver in Chicago? I've come to believe when questions like that, what should I do? Three things to think about. Have I developed the wrong opinion here? One, is the problem me? Two, is there really a misunderstanding? Maybe we're, we're just misunderstanding each other. Three. Will this problem matter in eternity? What do you tell the taxi cab driver? Should I go to the wedding in two hours or not? There is only one answer to that question. Be easy on people. Your niece is going to get married once. You have this brother in your life. What do you have to lose by being generous? May the Spirit go carefully with us now as we absorb the teaching of this word. Amen.